0: Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of True Crime on Easy Street, Thanksgiving edition. Gobble, gobble. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Hope you have a safe and fun and filling Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Good luck with those leftovers tomorrow.
0: I know. Do you have your favorite leftover recipe that you you use?
1: Yeah, just put everything in a bowl and mix it together and stick it in the microwave <laughs> just, and eat it. It all tastes the same anyway. <laughs> what difference does it make? Yeah, uh, add no. a little water and just make it into soup.
2: I like it. I like to do a sandwich situation or mm-hmm. like a take the rolls and make tiny sandwiches. Oh, yeah, that's cool. With that's a, a good one? I'm like a turkey, a, a dressing, a cranberry sauce, mm-hmm. gravy situation. I'm coming to your house on right Friday.
1: Lovely. That sounds that's delicious. A
2: lovely leftover right there. Yes. <laughs> and not, you know, but really, we don't have a ton of leftovers because Shane's mother, my, my mother-in-law, Sharon, is like a wizard at cooking like the exact amount of food she needs for the exact amount of people that are going to eat at her house. I've never... I will never understand because I cook for an army. If there are three people coming to dinner, we're going to have enough for 10. Like, okay, I don't know how to do so that. So, I'm
1: not going to your mother in law's house on Friday. I'm coming to your house.
2: <laughs> well, I don't cook. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, but you'll
1: have, left. Oh, you have no, left, no. left. oh, you won't have left. No, I'm saying. Oh, no. no. Like, yeah, that's we don't a, do. Right, that is Kelly, pretty. I'm coming to your house.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: That's pretty amazing. It is. It is.
2: Like, she'll have like cake left over. Like, that's the only thing. Cause I mean, you know, you have to make a cake.
0: But that's brilliant because I cook a lot and I'm always victorious to that having too many leftovers mm-hmm. and then i they wait they go to waste
1: i'm your solution to that problem
0: okay all right you're gonna be but that's that's what
2: sharon yeah tell me your secret i know and i think the secret is to it it looks like it's not enough but it is it is enough. Because it never looks like enough to me because I'm used to it. But then it's just, everybody's full and everybody's, you know, Colin's, you know, scraping out the last of the mashed potatoes over here. Like, and it's just, it's and over. perfect. Mm-hmm. Everybody's satisfied.
0: Yep. I love it's crazy. it. Okay. So what is your favorite way to eat turkey on Thanksgiving? Scott, go.
1: I throw it into the air and try to catch it in my mouth. And if I don't catch it, the dogs get it. <laughs> Is that what you were expecting? No. Uh, uh, How about a sandwich? I like a sandwich.
0: Okay. Do you like your turkey fried, smoked?
1: Just cooked. Baked, just not raw. Just not raw. Yeah. As long as it's cooked You're in some way, I'm saw. not very particular. But yeah, gotcha. I mean, and I don't eat turkey that often. Mm-hmm. And so I always look forward to Thanksgiving.
2: Okay. Katie, go. I love a turkey. I like smoked turkey mm. probably best, mm-hmm. but I love a good, just. Baked in the oven, you know, all night situation, turkey. Like my grandparents always like, they with a bunch of stuff in jammed of inside it. Yeah, I don't need to know about all that. <laughs> like I said, I've never actually made the turkey. You I, ever had one of those turduckins? Is that a refuse to okay. participate okay, in? Okay, so Is that a turkey I duck?
0: <clears throat> I don't know how the the exact way that it goes, but here's how I think it goes. I think you start with a, a duck. Okay. And you. Put things in the duck, some sort of stuffing, or whatever the ingredients are, and then you stuff that in a chicken, or either you do the chicken first and then stuff that in the duck. I don't remember.
1: This is off the rails. I know. But please continue. Okay,
0: and then and then you have the, the duck and the chicken there, uh-huh. and then you stuff all of that in the turkey, and then you cook it all. I have eaten turducken before. You have? And I will tell you who made it for me. And that was Jake Graves, who has been on the show Yeah, Was it
1: good? I'm sure if Jake made it, I'm sure it was fantastic. It was delicious. Yeah, Jake's, but I think Jake's it, pretty good at the grill.
0: I think it literally took him like... All day. 142 hours to make yeah. this.
2: Now I like duck
0: and I like chicken and I like
2: turkey. So I'm sure
0: it yeah. was so good. But my favorite way to eat turkey is probably the new... Which is new to our family, the new way of fry, doing the fried turkey sure, with yeah. like the Cajun seasoning like on there. Cajun yeah. turkey. Yes. And I am I am a sucker I mean, for uh, spices.
1: It's it's easy to overcook a turkey, to get it too dry or to get it a little mm-hmm. bland. But we have come up with ways, especially what you just described, the mm-hmm. the Cajun. Because uh, that's you use an injector, right? And, oh yeah, it's yeah delicious. put it into the meat, so yeah, that's I've never had one of those that I complained about.
0: I know all right, last question, and then we will get on to our story for the day. What are you thankful for, Scott? Don't cry. I won't.
1: I'm thankful for the two of you. This podcast oh. is one of my favorite things. I look forward to it every week. Oh i overdo it as you guys have seen me do from time to time i it's my favorite sunday at noon is my favorite hour of the week you and i get to hang out with you guys yeah
0: you absolutely live and breathe this podcast i do i I think that the listeners should know that i do the amount of time that you spend
1: ridiculous
0: it is a lot you're very very dedicated
1: i'm already working on the next one right now you are Mm -hmm. that's what i'm doing with my phone
0: I know, I know, no, but I
1: love it, and I love you guys, and I'm very thankful for the two of you and for this podcast. So That's your so turn. Sweet.
0: Thank you. It shows. Yeah. Well, I am definitely thankful for the two of you and for this podcast. All right, don't I been steal wanting, my thunder. I'm not. I've been wanting <laughs> to do this for years. I mean, since probably about 2018. Really? 2019. Yeah. I really. Wanted so a couple to. of years
1: before we started, even.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I really wanted to do this, and I'm so glad that we do it I love being able to relate to all the different people who come up and talk with me mm-hmm. and they say hey have you heard of this case are they sending me messages or texts and, it
1: happens to me every week
0: and I've had people say I'm right. so sorry that I'm bothering you let me just go ahead and say you are not bothering mm-hmm. any of us no. when you send us information or talk to us about a case you're not bothering
1: unless me. you start sending me letters in the mail but we will talk about that next week <laughs>
0: There's a little um, teaser for the our first December episode. <laughs> but yeah, so we are, I am thankful for this podcast. I'm thankful for the people that I have met since we started this. Yeah. Who share this kind of weird, quirky hobby. Yeah. That we have. True. Because it's weird.
1: It's a, thank it's you, quirky. Truman Capote.
0: Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of weirdos out there who love it with us that's true and i'm thankful we love them all i'm thankful for the weirdos
1: katie
2: okay well i'm not a very sentimental person but i am
1: i will pretend to be surprised if you like scott said don't cry on us but i am
2: (laughs) i will piggyback on y'all and throw one more in there but i'm also thankful for y'all i love that we get together and do this every week and i'm also thankful for all the people who listen because then we just be talking into Nothing, and we all we do appreciate. <laughs> well, for all you're... we know that
1: that's exactly what we're doing.
2: We, we get a little. Th- I know
1: we do, and we love all of our listeners, uh-huh. and even those that haven't found us yet. You're out there somewhere, and maybe you'll hear this one day and be new and realize mm-hmm. that we're mm-hmm. talking about you.
2: And I was gonna say, I'm also thankful for our families that we get to give a hard time because they don't listen to this podcast, yes. and the joke yes. never dies because they still don't listen. Yeah, it no, would be it's nearly. Awesome.
1: It wouldn't be nearly as funny if your husbands listened to this show. <laughs> Yeah. It's much funnier that they don't, at yeah. least to me and to the three of us.
0: All right. KT had on a shirt today that was from an old episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. So if you, if you know what that show is.
1: Was it Thanksgiving related? It
0: was a Thanksgiving shirt. The one. The one about the turkey drop. Yes. And the quote is, go ahead
1: with it, Scott. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> they had a turkey drop out of a helicopter yes uh As in a, downtown cincinnati wkrp sponsored oh, it
2: and it splatted on the concrete
1: well turkeys can't fly
0: yes <laughs> so yeah. they they dropped them out of airplanes yeah
1: it was supposed to and be, be a splatting
0: uh, all over the parking
1: lot yeah, it was supposed to be a promotional <laughs> thing to create uh uh interest in the radio station and it did <laughs> but not in the way they intended.
2: Oh. Wow. And there is a
1: t-shirt that you can find. Yeah.
0: WKRP in Cincinnati was a fantastic show. It was a show. great show.
1: Set in a radio station in Cincinnati. Lonnie Anderson was on it. Uh uh Les Nesman was the character we're talking about. I forget the actor's name, but he was the one who uh came up with the idea for the turkey drop. <laughs> and it went horribly wrong.
0: What a great show. So so if you're just so full of Thanksgiving dinner and you just want to kick it back and veg out for a little bit and watch something, find some old episodes of WKRP and At least that one. Yeah, and watch it. At least that one. You'll enjoy yourself. Yeah. All right, so this week... Uh Uh-huh. We have a case that we are doing that is so near and dear to Scott's heart. Yeah,
1: I've, I've been in love with this for a long time. And the thing is, 51 years ago today, if you're listening to this episode, on the day that it drops, on, on Wednesday. The,
0: the 23rd of November.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's the 51st anniversary of this occurrence. 51st. That's right. It happened in 1971.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I can't wait. So take it away, guys.
1: Okay, so uh, today Katie is going to begin this story, and it's going to blast off like the opening sequence of a James Bond film, and it's going to end like a treasure hunting whodunit straight out of an Indiana Jones adventure. And unlike most of the stories we tell here on True Crime on Easy Street, today everybody is going to root for the bad guy. There is a decent chance that no one in the audience today will believe a single word that we're going to tell you. And I don't blame you. When we get to the end of today's episode, you may find yourselves flabbergasted. Even the FBI has given up trying to figure out who D.B. Cooper was. There's your spoiler alert. We are not going to take a huge, gigantic bite out of this apple because if we did, we would be chewing until the end of time. Consider this episode a sort of introductory course. Uh, it's, this is D.B. Cooper 101. If you want to learn more about the case, we will tell you how to do that as we wind our way through this adventure. We met some interesting people along the way to preparing this episode, folks who are totally dedicated to trying to solve this case even today. We're going to tell you about a couple of them and how you can learn much, much more about DB Cooper from the two of them if you choose. In the meantime, strap yourselves in, put your seats in their upright positions, and secure your tray tables. You are about to board. Northwest Orient Airlines flight three oh five on the day before Thanksgiving of nineteen seventy one. The person in the pilot seat today is Katie Givens. You are cleared for takeoff.
2: Skyjacking was a national epidemic in the late nineteen sixties and early nineteen
1: seventies. I asked
2: Scott earlier if if he remembered flying.
1: No, I was one (laughs) when this happened.
2: (laughs) And he had to remind me. It's
1: amazing what people forget about how old I am and how old I am not.
0: That has made my day.
1: (laughs) I take back everything I said about what I'm thankful for.
2: No, you don't. No, I don't. The passenger jet had become the next stagecoach, in the words of author Joffrey Gray, who wrote Skyjack, the Hunt for D.B. Cooper. There had been over 100 hijackings in the first term of President Richard Nixon's presidency alone. That was from 1969 to 1974. So it had happened hundreds of other times since, but only one U.S. hijacking case remains unsolved to this day. And like Scott said, this event took place on Wednesday, November 24th, 1971, which is the day before Thanksgiving, which we all know is a busy travel time anyway. You get your Thanksgiving. That and your might have holidays. factored
1: into the plan somewhere.
2: I'm, I'm sure it did. Yeah. Because yeah. that is usually like one of the busiest. Days at an airport.
1: Easy to get lost in the airport mm-hmm. when everybody is at the airport.
2: So we're aboard Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305. There's red, red, and more red. Northwest Orient Airlines stewardess Flo Schaffner was covered in it the uniform, the lipstick, the nail polish. Her company hat had a bill and ear flaps. Uh, she was said to look something like Elmer Fudd. So Joffrey Gray wrote in his best selling book. Schaffner and the two other stewardesses on Flight 305, because that's what they were called at the time, stewardesses. Now they are yep. flight attendants. The, the term stewardess, I understand, is not used today, but right. that is what they were in the that, 70s. Yeah, that term has not been used in quite some time. Yes. They're on Flight 305. They had come aboard in Minneapolis earlier in the day, but the flight had begun that morning in Washington, D.C., and was skipping westward across the upper Midwest, headed for a final planned stop in Seattle. From Minneapolis to South Dakota, then Montana, next was Spokane, Washington, and now Portland. Only 36 more minutes to Seattle, and a long day for the crew of Flight 305 would finally be over. Tina Mucklow was the youngest of the three stewardesses. She was in the back of the plane with Flo Schaffner. There was a first-class stewardess up front, and there was a pilot, a co-pilot, and a flight engineer in the cockpit. So what? That is... Six, six crew, six crew on this flight. That's how
1: it started out.
2: Sitting on the tarmac in Portland, Flo and Tina board their passengers, thirty-seven of them in all, using the aft stairway on the Boeing seven twenty-seven. This style of jetliner was popular with airlines because many smaller and mid-sized airports in the country still had not upgraded to jetways, so passengers had to walk across the tarmac and wait for the. Is that Bluth Mobile?
1: Yeah, the Bluth Mobile, right? The I mean, you guys all watched Arrested Development, right? I mean, that's what they drove around in was the pickup truck with the stairs on the back. And that's how you yeah. got off of an airplane, unless it had stairs built in.
2: Right, because um, most of the airplanes that you board today, you know, you're, you are straight from the airport. Into the plane. That's, yeah, that's that's, that's the, the, the jetway, but a lot of airports about,
1: right. didn't have them back then.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. which and a lot of like if you know if you fly into these smaller exactly. airports in like different countries and yeah, stuff. yeah, you go to the Caribbean, mm-hmm.
1: you're 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 waiting on the the stairs on the back of the pickup so that you can walk across the tarmac and get into the uh, the terminal.
0: I had to do that in Cincinnati, Ohio, one time just because there was a lot really? of um, like they couldn't get you construction up there. going on okay. at the airport. Yeah.
1: So, mm-hmm. but that's so they they actually built airplanes. uh, there's a DC-8 and the Boeing 727 that were built with stairs on the plane mm-hmm. to help people get off in case mm-hmm. you couldn't get off any other way.
2: Makes sense. Flo and Tina got all their passengers aboard, told them that they could sit wherever they wanted. So this is kind of like a uh, today, like a Southwest. Southwest. Airlines.
1: Yeah. Just sit out.
2: Yeah. Pulled the level to close the air stair and then strapped into their rear galley jump seats for takeoff. As the plane began to taxi towards the end of the runway, a man in a dark business suit sitting in the last row, the middle on the right, seat 18E, handed Flo a folded envelope, and she pushed it into her pocket. Just as Flight 305 began to pick up speed for takeoff, the man looked at Flo and said, I think you better have a look at that note. Well, first of all, why would she just put it in her pocket? Why wouldn't she look at it anyway? There's a good reason Flo had ignored the man's note at first. TV and magazine campaigns of the day were still attempting to assure a wary public that the still novel mode of transportation was safe. And if air travelers wouldn't buy safe, maybe at least the businessman among them would settle for sexy. So stewardesses were treated, I mean, as sort of a sex object. Think of like, think of Hooters traveling five miles high at 500 miles per hour. One ad campaign touted its stewardesses with this slogan It's hard to find a woman who can remember what 124 people want for dinner. Yeah. <sighs> so, I mean, yeah. They, Does
1: that answer your question? Yes. Kelly, just, 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 yes, That's it, uh, what we're dealing misogyny with
2: misogyny at its peak, I guess. It was. If a stewardess gained too much weight, got married, or, Lord forbid, found herself pregnant, she was forced to resign immediately. So, I mean, did she also just have to fit into the uniform that they gave her? Oh, like yeah. Was that a thing? There was a
1: weight limit in the whole thing. Yeah. Again, it's Hooters five miles high.
0: Were there weight limits on the pilots? I'm sure Probably
1: there not. were not. They just factored that in with the fuel load. Okay.
2: <laughs> so, it was no surprise to Flo <laughs> at all that yet another creep in a suit was hitting on her. The major airlines ad campaigns at the time practically insisted on it. But the man in the last row told her that she really should take a look at that note. As the plane prepared to lift off, Flo read these words. You're being hijacked. I have a bomb here and I would like you to sit by me. An hour or so before he handed that note to Flo Schaffner, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper had bought a one-way ticket from Portland to Seattle. The ticket cost him $20. and He paid in cash. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, first class was twenty five that day.
2: Oh my god. It was a
1: thirty six minute flight, but still five bucks more for first class.
2: <laughs> oh my god. Which is just insane in itself, but
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: At the time getting on a commercial jet was no more complicated than hailing a taxi cab. You walked up to the ticket counter, handed over your money, and then got on a plane. Dan Cooper was wearing a dark suit and tie with loafers and a dark raincoat. I mean, remember, we're in Washington, so I'm sure everybody had on a raincoat. Right. He also had a briefcase. It may as well have been ticking out loud because there was no metal detectors or luggage inspections. There was no security at the time in any U.S. airport. So I guess you can curse D.B. Cooper every time you fly because that quickly became not the
1: case. Uh, yeah, he's the reason why there are metal detectors at every airport in the country. A long time before 9 11, and a lot of security increased after that. But you walk through a metal detector because of D.B. Cooper.
2: Mm which, I guess, at the time, it, to me, just seems insane now that you could ever get on an airplane without going through a metal detector. But, I mean, I guess you can get in a taxi without it going through a metal yeah. detector. So. Yeah, you
1: can get on a train. But, I mean, if they start blowing up trains, then we're going to have to... I, nobody you probably travels can. by train. You
2: probably can't get on a train anymore without going through a metal probably
1: detector. Probably not. Can you? I don't know. I've never. You know what? I've never traveled by train. I don't know. Neither have I. Yeah, unless you count the subway and there no but that's just public transportation Are we're talking not about metal, amtrak
2: oh yeah yeah i guess you can't just like scan i mean getting on the subway that would take yeah ever but you know amtrak scanning.
1: across the country you probably do yeah
2: I, yeah.
1: some dumbass has probably already tried that and we just haven't done it on our podcast yet
2: i mean you have to go through a metal detector to get into disney world mm-hmm. like to get into a lot of places
1: i had to go through a metal detector to get into this office building today
2: some people have to
0: go through them to go to school every day yeah yeah
2: Yeah, you're right.
1: Well, you can thank D.B. Cooper for that.
2: Okay. Thank you, D.B. Cooper. After Flight 305 got airborne and Flo Schaffner sat down beside him, Dan Cooper opened his briefcase and showed her what was inside. Six thin red cylinders that looked like dynamite wrapped together with electrical tape and a big battery with wires hanging out of it. Flo asked the man if he had a grudge against Northwest, and he said, I don't have a grudge against your airline. He answered, but I do have a grudge. Among other thoughts, Flo probably started to consider that she was going to be late for Thanksgiving dinner, not to mention possibly blown to bits at 25,000 feet. Write this down, the man said to Flo. He wanted four parachutes, $200,000 in U.S., $20 bills, and a fuel truck waiting on the ground at the airport in Seattle. He told Flo to take the note to the cockpit and tell the pilots to pass along his demands to the airline and to the FAA. He instructed that the plane should circle in the sky above Seattle until his demands were met. That took two and a half hours. Like, like I said, this was a 36-minute flight. Yeah. That took two and a half hours, plenty of time for the FBI to ramp up into full panic mode. Cooper never said a word to anyone else that day except stewardess Tina Mucklow, who took Flo Schaffner's place in the seat beside him for the rest of the time he was on board. After Flo took Cooper's note to the cockpit, she stayed there with the flight crew for the rest of what turned out to be a very long evening. At Cooper's direction, the other 36 passengers on the plane were not made aware of the hijacking. That was until they got off the plane. When they finally landed in Seattle, Flo and the first class stewardess were allowed to leave, along with all the passengers, once the money and the parachutes had been brought on board. When the plane took off again, there were only five people still on the flight. The pilot, the co-pilot, the flight engineer, stewardess Tina Mucklow, and Dan Cooper. So, Flo gets off the flight.
1: Flo gets off.
2: Now, why is Tina stuck on the flight?
1: Tina is the one who sat beside him after Flo went up to the cockpit. She sat down beside him, and they kind of had this rapport between the two of them. So, he felt comfortable with her. She wasn't uh, scared. She wasn't frightened. I'm sure she was, but she didn't extended outwardly and so when it got time to throw everybody off the plane except the people he needed there he wanted tina to stay on the plane with him and so she did
2: hmm. blame a mediocre journalist for the mistake that led the world to learn the hijacker's name as db cooper but you have to admit it is catchier than Dan. it is
1: catchier than dan cooper
2: mm-hmm. where, where does the b come from Long story short, uh, someone with a press pass screwed up somewhere, and Dan Cooper became D.B. Cooper.
1: Yeah. There was a guy named D.B. Cooper who lived in Seattle who was sort of a criminal. Okay. And so the cops went out to look for him just to see if it was him, and it wasn't. But somehow, some journalist overheard that conversation, and Dan Cooper, which is what is written on the ticket that he purchased that day for $20, turned, by the time the media got a hold of it, it was D.B. Cooper, and that has stuck since.
0: So that's not accurate.
1: That's right. Mm -mm. Well, hey, us mediocre journalists have to stick together. I'm not going to throw the guy under the bus, (laughs) whoever he was.
2: D.B. Cooper soon had more requests for Tina to relay to the flight crew. He wanted the plane to fly to Mexico as slowly as possible. With the landing gear down and the flaps on the wings set at 15 degrees. He wanted the plane going slowly enough that he could jump out the back using the air stairs beneath the tail of the plane.
1: Spoiler alert. Hello. That's how that ends.
2: One problem, at the slow speed, the plane did not have enough fuel to reach Mexico City. So Cooper negotiated with the flight crew to head for Reno, Nevada for more fuel as Flight 305 made its way south. Cooper then put out the last of the cigarettes he smoked on the plane that night, which is insane. You could smoke Cigarettes on a plane, like
1: the ashtray is still right there beside you on a lot of planes. I was going to say that it's still there. I have flown- you can't use it anymore, but he crammed he crammed his cigarettes into one of those little ashtrays right there on the armrest.
0: Yeah, I
2: have flown on several planes that yeah. still have those ashtrays. If you're on a
1: seven thirty seven; you probably still got ashtrays in the armrest.
2: He told Tina to pull the first class curtain closed behind her on the way to the front of the plane, and then stayed inside the cockpit with the door closed and locked until they landed in Reno. Tina said the last image she saw of Cooper was of him putting on one of the parachutes. A few minutes later, a light on the cockpit panel indicated that the rear air stair was being lowered. At the time, it was possible to do so on a Boeing 727 using the lever near the bulkhead door that separated the main cabin area from the aft stairs. A few minutes after the light lit up in the cockpit, everyone's ears popped when the air stair briefly slammed closed as if it had sprung upwards after someone had just jumped off of it.
1: That's how they marked, hey, here's when he left. Mm-hmm. That was at like eight eleven.
2: So p.m. like, okay. The air temperature outside of Flight 305 was 22 degrees Fahrenheit. The sky was filled with low-hanging clouds, fog, and pelting raindrops. The plane was 10,000 feet off the ground, traveling at 200 miles per hour. When the plane landed in Reno later that night, FBI agents rushed aboard, but D.B. Cooper and the bomb and the money and, the, and two of the parachutes were no longer on board. All Cooper had left behind were eight cigarette butts in the ashtray in the armrest of his seat, the black clip-on tie he had worn onto the plane, a few smeared fingerprints, and a mystery that has endured for 51 years and counting. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
1: So, The Post Herald here in Cherokee County is a uh, sponsor of True Crime on Easy Street, and we are conducting a subscription drive. What we want you to do is subscribe to the paper, because in December, when the bowl matchups come out, we're going to put an entry list in the paper, and only subscribers to the Post Herald are eligible to win a $500 first place prize. You pick the most bowl game winners. You get 500 bucks. College football bowl games. College football bowl games.
0: All right. So step one, subscribe to the Post Herald. Call
1: 256-927-4476 to subscribe to the paper for as little as $20 a year, depending on your zip code. If you're right here in town, it's $20. bucks.
0: All right. That sounds wonderful. Shop Cherokee County first. Before you go out of town or shop online, Scott, visit many retail businesses here in Cherokee County.
1: And do Am- you, you want to know why? Please tell me.
0: Okay. They are faithful to support our local schools, our sports teams, our clubs, our community nonprofits, and more. So keeping your money here in the local economy, that's going to support
1: all of that. Teresa and Joy do a great job in the chamber. Amazon sucks. Shop local. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) agree.
2: (laughs) Local businesses
0: provide jobs for you and your neighbors. So brought to you by the Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce, Shop Local. I've seen you try to go out of town, Scott, and I'm not going to stand for it anymore.
1: I don't trust myself to drive out of town. You
0: better take your tail to the local shops from now on. Do you understand me?
1: I will do a much better job of shopping (laughs) locally. Thank you for the Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce being a sponsor of the show and reminding us all to shop local.
0: Welcome back to our show. Thank you once again to our sponsors. And now back to our story.
1: So obviously, Katie Beth Givens just nailed the James Bond cold open. We have (laughs) have jumped out of a plane and now we join in the search that has existed for all of these decades for D.B. Cooper. How deep down the rabbit hole do you guys want to go with this one? Because I can tell you right now, as far as I can see, there is no bottom. Well, I've got questions. Okay. All right. Good. Before we get started, I'm curious about one thing. Either of you guys ever been skydiving?
2: No.
0: No, but KT has twice.
1: Well, I don't give a shit about him. He doesn't listen to the show. He's dead (laughs) to me. He's dead to me on Sundays from 12 to one.
0: He has done, he did this years ago. As I understand it now, unless you have a certain level or so many hours under your belt, you are jumping with the
1: it's did a tandem they, jump.
0: Yeah, you're you're attached. You're attached to the guy
1: who knows where the where the rip cord is.
0: Okay, so KT's done this twice, and neither time was he attached to a
1: person. Did he do static jumps?
0: So he did that where they okay. were out on the line, like strung yeah, out on right. the line from yeah. the from the plane. You
1: don't have to pull it. It's when you jump 100 feet, you've got 100 feet of cord. It's going to pull it for you.
0: Um, they actually had to pull theirs. Oh really? Yep. Oh they wow. Had to, wow! They had to pull.
1: That's too much to remember when I'm yep. falling. It was a lot through the sky.
2: And then he's also just sort of jumped just from the plane. Right. How? Like where the regulations not the same when he did it? Like mm. I, I, I really do don't, some don't some know. I guess
0: it was...
1: let's not get anyone into trouble here.
0: <laughs> no, this was a long time of a long time mm-hmm. ago. This was before I had met.
1: Kevin, he was in college. So he could be making up the whole thing. No, No, well, is that how he got you to marry him?
2: No, we know KT. He's not, he's not really (laughs) a lavish story. This is true. Yeah. He's more
1: like one sentence will do. I know that I jumped out of an airplane once.
0: I know that Jake was involved in the first jump. Okay. Jake was not involved in the second jump. Okay. Um, but I do know that the second time he just jumped out. And I think that, he preferred it that way than to be flailing and flapping outside of the plane on that I can see line. that.
1: I had a chance to go once. Uh Katie, what's your story? Anything do no. you ever get no. close? No. No.
2: No, you and i never will get close. Yeah, me either. Uh-huh. I, I never missed do this. I
1: missed my window on that. But I had a chance when I was in my 20s, a couple of buddies of mine uh drove over to Talladega and jumped out. They did the static uh no, they did the the uh yeah, they did static jumps. So they were attached, you know, they hooked their uh pull cord and when they jumped out of the plane they fell for 5 seconds and then the chute pops open oh i had a chance to do that i checked out the day before and told him i couldn't go <laughs> and i always thought about the old saying if at first you don't succeed then skydiving is not for you <laughs> So, and I yeah. stole that from the DB Cooper website. So to give them a uh, credit, credit. I will never
0: did. do it. I never had the the desire to do it.
1: I was going to do it. And then I just flat chickened out.
0: I think that I would just pass
1: out. Yeah.
0: Yes. No, yeah. I'd get. So
1: a static I, jump for you.
0: <laughs> I, Hook it, it
1: would, and jump.
0: No, it would have to be. I would have to be attached to someone because I'm not going to jump out of the plane on my You're gonna own. You're going to have to throw no, me I mean, out. Somebody's yeah. going to have to go. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. yeah. going to happen.
1: All right, so back to the story. Uh, Katie just told us about the mostly undisputed facts of what happened inside Flight 305 on Wednesday, November the twenty fourth, nineteen seventy one. But there is plenty to disagree about about everything else about this case. CooperCon twenty twenty two just took place last week in Portland, Oregon, and I will guarantee you that somewhere there, there was an argument about the facts <laughs> of this case. Between some somebodies. Because if there's one thing I have learned in three weeks of researching this case, these people are passionate about their theories about what happened and what did not happen Mm -hmm. that night.
0: It's a pastime for a lot of individuals. Yeah, it
1: is. It really is. And so let's talk about the hijacking of Northwest Flight 305. Norjak, as the FBI named their case. Okay. The basic description of Dan Cooper, before he was misidentified as D.B. Cooper, was a male, around 45 years old, 6 feet tall, 175 pounds. He had black hair parted on the side. Or maybe his hair was a little wavy and greasy. He was a white man. Or maybe Hispanic. Depends on which eyewitness description you believe. There is a composite sketch of the hijacker that anyone can easily find online, actually there are three at least one of them looks like Bing Crosby <laughs> and it is called wait for it. The Bing Crosby sketch.
0: Oh good. Yeah. Good as well. The
1: others do not look like Bing Crosby at all. And if you took the over on how many times we were going to say Bing Crosby on a podcast about DB Cooper, you just won the jackpot because the opening line was three and a half.
2: Well, I will say as a, if you're a, a white person with black hair, y- Oftentimes, people want you to be a, a certain race. I, I've got that my whole life. Like, are you Asian? Are you Hispanic? Right. Are you... Like, th- that kind of gets thrown on you, and I think that's just people's... Well, it, it's, it's just
1: so, so weird, weird because of the, of the 36 other passengers on the plane, I think if the number... If I'm going to get this number right there, about 13 or 14 of them who were eyewitnesses to having seen him at some point at some distance in the cockpit, close or in the cabin, closer or not so close... And there's just not really a lot of uh, consensus about his overall appearance. I mean, Must everybody can look at the sketch looking. and go, yeah, that looks like him. Well, shit, that sketch looks like me.
2: Yeah, he's just a plain looking guy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so you guys are beginning to see what we're dealing with here. We are getting to the conjecture, the confusion, the speculation, the infatuation with the D.B. Cooper case. And it's Jason voorhees likability to defy death. For over five decades. (laughs) Either you know what I'm talking about or you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, I've I've been around this case for years peripherally, but I've never really started to peel back the onion until we started getting ready for this episode. Here are a few details that anybody can find out about the man who hijacked Flight 305 with a simple cursory internet search. Cooper was an experienced skydiver. Or maybe not. He was a jet pilot. Possibly. (laughs) He had once worked at Boeing. Or did he? He was a secret agent for the CIA who knew it was safe to jump out of the back of a 727 because he had already done it dozens of times in Vietnam. In fact, one theory proposes that the CIA worked to derail the Norjak investigation in order to conceal the hijacker's identity and prevent the American public from finding out about all the illegal operations the CIA was involved in in Vietnam at the time. Perhaps, too, DBC was simply an idiotic, desperate criminal with a death wish who somehow got lucky. Take your pick on any of those. You can find evidence to back almost any theory regarding exactly who DB Cooper was or was not. Maybe Cooper landed safely somewhere and got away with that 200 grand somehow. Maybe he was the same guy who tried the same exact crime 5 months later in Utah and got caught within 2 days. This time with $500,000, but with 499,970 of those dollars still unspent when they found the bag hidden in his house.
2: He'd spent $30. That's right. Well, I guess if you can buy an airplane ticket for 20 you can do a lot. It's yeah. like $30. Well, and- he, he,
1: he had coffee and a donut on the way home and still got busted.
2: So, was it him?
1: That's a great question, Kelly.
0: Good,
1: Good luck with that. Okay. Because you will go nuts trying to figure it out. Or maybe, or maybe, he was even unluckier than that. And made a wily Coyote-shaped hole in the ground at 120 miles an hour somewhere in the wilderness of the Pacific Northwest. Or maybe he landed in the Columbia River and drowned, or didn't drown. And any of those outcomes might help explain why none of the money has ever been spent. Which is not to say that none of that money has ever been found. Some D.B. Cooper sleuths out there believe that the hijacker took the name Dan Cooper based on a daredevil in a French-language comic book. On the other hand, maybe the name was simply another confounding coincidence there are plenty of those in Cooperland. And now, the three of us are all in the middle of Cooperland and there is no map. I am nowhere near the bottom of this list, but I will stop after one more confusing Cooper riddle. Are you guys wearing your seatbelts?
2: Well, hold on. Let's because them.
1: here comes a little turbulence. Okay. Maybe Cooper wasn't a man at all there is one group of cooper troopers out there who are thoroughly convinced that he was a she why not right if you're going to cook up a 50 year supply of hobo stew you may as well toss in everything in the cupboard season to taste and don't forget to stir the pot you now understand what it means to be caught up in the cooper vortex that's a thing
0: I I want to get off this crazy carousel.
1: As of today, (laughs) not yet. You've got 20 minutes to go. As of today, there have been hundreds of confessions, every one of them claiming to be D.B. Cooper, some of them deathbed confessions, at least a dozen by the latest count. I will update that number next week, if necessary. Since the day of the crime, the FBI has investigated over 1,100 suspects. But somewhere along the way, the federal B.I., Shot themselves squarely in the foot because you guys remember those eight cigarette butts I mentioned? Mm-hmm. Yeah, misplaced. Can't fucking find them. Don't know where they are.
2: Uh uh-uh. oh. Yeah, the one thing with all the DNA in the world.
1: And if anybody who ever listens to this podcast and the three of us on this team of experts knows, all they needed was a little DNA, and they could have solved this problem twenty years ago. But the FBI lost the evidence. And now you're beginning to understand why in July of 2016 the FBI said fuck this. We're done with it. They walked away. They closed the case that it's over.
2: Well, I mean, as far as any they're evidence, How can they keep it open? What what, what well, would they, they ever you, look at? Yeah, yeah how do the,
0: you close it though when it's not solved?
1: Well, they just said to hell with it.
0: They just said
1: You guys want to work on it out there in Cooperland, knock yourselves out. Sometimes they assist that Jeffrey Gray that uh, that Katie mentioned in the opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he wrote Skyjack. He has been able to see some of the FBI files through the years and the evidence. Some other folks they don't work with. It's it's well, kind of hit and miss.
0: I mean, really, if you think about it, this at this point is a waste of their time.
1: Yeah, right. We've well, got a lot
0: of active cases going on right that's
1: now. That's kind of the FBI's. Yeah. yeah. So in the absence of the FBI, today there are pockets of civilian detectives around the country who have become the primary investigators who are trying to dig all the way down into that deep, dark hole of a mystery. And as I mentioned earlier, there is no bottom so far. Remember that I said some of the money was found? In 1980, nine years almost, after the crime took place, an eight-year-old boy on a picnic with his parents dug up around $6,000, three bundles, each containing $120 bills. He found them buried in the sand along the bank of the Columbia River in southern Washington state, which reminds me We never even discussed exactly when Cooper jumped or exactly where the plane was when that happened. And that's a whole other can of worms that we're going to leave sealed on the shelf in the cupboard. (laughs) Dig it up if you want. Gosh. Back to the money in the sand, the FBI had a list of the serial numbers on all 10,000 of those $20 bills. That money was kept in banks around Seattle for the express purpose of ransoms. Mm -hmm. So there was a list of all the serial numbers. They handed the money to Cooper in a canvas bag, and the numbers on the bills from that six grand that the little boy found on the banks of the Columbia River matched.
0: So were, were they just scattered, or were they in bags? They were stacked,
1: or? no. They were stacked on top of each other, mm-hmm. buried in the sand. Uh, it depends on who you ask exactly what they looked like when they got there, but the little boy said when he pulled them out of the sand, the rubber bands were still attached still in one piece. But as he fiddled with them in his hands, the rubber bands came apart and Mm -hmm. they actually reached out to the company that made the rubber bands and said, how long does it take your rubber bands to deteriorate? And they said, I don't know, six months. So the, it's hard to know exactly what happened. I mean, there's a theory that it floated down the river over the course of eight years. There's a theory that somebody buried it there six months before it was found. Mm -hmm. Another deep, dark hole in the story that is DB Cooper. Okay. Because
0: I was gonna say if they're stacked there, then that may be evidence that he survived the jump right? at least yeah. and buried him. well, there's but- one
1: theory that he survived, buried his money and came back three or four days later, maybe it was in the dark when he came back to get it, and he inadvertently left three bundles of money mm-hmm. you know he's digging it up, maybe he sees headlights, he's trying to throw all the money in a bag and get away with it, and he just he leaves three there mm-hmm. or that it. Or that he died on impact with the Columbia River and it floated down over the course of eight years. Mm -hmm. Although it's upstream and downstream, but that you know what? You you don't want to go there. You can piss somebody off at CooperCon if you say the wrong thing about those. I don't want to do that. About those $20 bills. Yeah. Among all of the Cooper veterans out there who were trying to crack this case and get to the bottom of the 20s and everything else, there were a couple who were kind enough to reach out to us when I requested, from my rookie perspective, some facts about the case. Both of these guys are very good at what they do. They are experts on the Cooper case and they are working honestly and diligently to try and share accurate information and work to a conclusion. Darren Schaefer is the host of a podcast called The Cooper Vortex. He told me he is, quote, a podcast fan turned podcaster who cannot stop talking about D.B. Cooper, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) And so far, he hasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, He and his friend Russell Colbert have recorded over 50 episodes to date. They're probably working on another one right now.
2: All on D.B. Cooper.
1: Yes. Each of those, which run anywhere from one hour to two hours, includes an interview with someone who is convinced that he or she knows the identity of D.B. Cooper Or has a fresh angle on some obscure fact about the case, some of which we have already mentioned.
2: 50. 50 different episodes. Yes. And they're all interview episodes. That's that's neat. With a different person who is convinced. Every
1: time. Oh my gosh. Here are the titles of just a handful of these episodes. Okay. To give you an idea of exactly how much we don't know about D.B. Cooper. One episode is titled, D.B. Cooper is Alive. Which is unlikely for multiple reasons. Most of all, because he was 45 and 71 and he'd be in his late 90s now. Mm-hmm. But hey, somebody thinks that's the thing. Another, D.B. Cooper was an international spy. There's Katie's James Bond cold open. Okay. Here's another one. D.B. Cooper escaped from Alcatraz, which reminds me, I want us to do the Alcatraz escape at some point in the future on this podcast. <laughs> um, here's another one. A tie-in that will ring a bell with some of our listeners: DB Cooper was the Zodiac killer. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Hey, if you're going to kill two birds with one stone, right?
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Why
1: not? Yep. And my favorite of them all, for obvious reasons, DB Cooper lived in Alabama, and there's our home state tie.
0: How about that? <laughs> yeah. You
1: see how I worked that in? I, I saved it till the end. That. I know. Uh, Schaefer and Colbert have been at it since 2018. So if you want to hear some interesting interviews with people connected to the Cooper case, some more peripherally than others but that's okay he always has a good time with it he does a great job check out the cooper vortex podcast
0: i'm going to Mm -hmm.
1: another name that will be familiar to the well-versed cooper sleuths out there is eric ulis u-l-i-s he has been on the trail of db cooper for well over a decade and has been featured on several documentaries about the cooper case history channel uh, discovery i've watched a lot of them he's he's great Ulysses is the administrator of the D.B. Cooper Mystery Group Facebook page. He was kind enough to grant my request to join his private group, and I have learned a lot about the case from the conversations I have read from the 3,300 members of the group. Last week at CooperCon 2022 in Portland, Ulysses released brand new information related to a possible new suspect in the case. Look it up. So there are people out there working this case every day. And I recommend list highly as someone that you should listen to if you want to learn more about DB Cooper and the hijacking of Flight 305. Guys, that's just about all I have time for today. Um, we've scratched the surface barely. I'm, I'm not even sore from scratching. That's how barely we have scratched the surface of the DB Cooper case. If you want to do some more digging, we've given you some names. Uh, the Cooper Vortex,
0: I'm, I'm Ulysses' Facebook page.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much that we don't know about the case, but here's one thing that we all know for certain, and we talked about this earlier. If you walk into an airport today and try to get on a plane, you're walking through a metal detector and you have DB Cooper to thank for that. That's right. Because in 1973, the Federal Aviation Administration mandated passenger screenings at every airport in the country. They also ordered Boeings to alter the aft stairways on their 727s so that you couldn't open them while they were in the air. See, I That thought, seems like a huge oversight.
2: I thought if you open something on an, airline, on an airplane like that in the air that everything... I mean, do movies tell you nothing? Does everything not just get sucked
1: it out? It would be if the cabin is pressurized. But D.B. Cooper was smart enough to say, I, I want you to not pressurize the cabin. So all that you have to do to make sure the cabin is not pressurized is open that aft bulkhead door, Mm -hmm. which it's a closed stairway. It just looks like stairs facing you in the face. But when you pull that lever and the stairs go down. But if the plane's already not pressurized, that's why I wanted to stay below 10,000 feet. You breathe air. You can breathe air at 10,000 feet. Just the way you do now. But if
2: you get above that, you have to pressurize the cabin. You
1: have to pressurize the cabin, or people are going to pass out because they can't breathe.
2: So that's what. So
1: he knew that.
2: That's what made me
0: think that maybe he had had some military experience. Exactly. There's a huge
1: uh, portion of the, the Cooper sleuths who believe that he must have had some military experience and probably. From the CIA in Vietnam because they used the same airplane. They used a Boeing 727 with the aft stairway to drop troops and food and things into parts of Vietnam where they weren't supposed to be operating. Air America, Mm -hmm. you guys have all heard of CIA's covert air operation called Air America. That's it. So there's some people who think if anybody knew how to do this, it's somebody who had already done that. So that's a huge theory that makes perfect sense.
2: And why did he want multiple parachutes?
1: He wanted two back parachutes that you wear on your back, right? Two main packs. I am forget exactly the term. I don't know the terminology. And then two front pair, uh, parachutes. And so what you would do typically is you would, you would attach the front parachute to some clips, some rings on the, uh, on, the, on the straps. So that if your back parachute didn't open for some reason, you'd have, a, you have extra. A, so you a backup. He just
2: had all the backups. He
1: wanted, he wanted backups. The pilots thought... He wants one of us to jump with him. He's going to hold one of us mm-hmm. hostage too. Mm-hmm. So there was a thought that maybe the FBI was going to give him a dummy chute and let him fall to his death, but he he knew enough about parachutes that he checked all of the chutes. He
0: had done this before. He,
1: he had, had done something. He
0: had jumped out of an airplane. He had, before. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Cuz he knew what to do. He knew to check there's a card that is stored in every parachute pack that the person who packs that chute signs it and says I packed it, I did it right. But it's a hard it's not in an obvious place. But Tina Mucklow said at one point she saw him looking at that card. So he knew where the the card was to confirm that it had been packed properly. One of the parachutes, Katie, to answer your question, one of the front packs, he took it out. They found it in the airplane when the FBI rushed the plane in Reno after it landed. He had taken the parachute out of the bag and cut some of the straps, they think, to make a rope so he put the money in the empty bag where the front parachute was, mm-hmm. and tied it up good so he wouldn't lose it on the way down. But,
2: wouldn't that be hilarious? But if nobody that knows. Money just went flying through.
1: The well, air. and that, you know, that's no. the that's the whole speculation. You can you can find folks who think that that six grand found on the Columbia River Edge was money that flew out when he jumped mm-hmm. and got lost. So, or or that he uh, that the guy uh, Richard McCoy who did the same thing five months later in Utah. And got away with five hundred thousand dollars for two days. They think he did it again because he jumped and he lost the two hundred grand, so he had to go do it again. Listen, rabbit hole, plausible. Every rabbit hole has ten rabbit holes on this story. It's crazy. It's nuts. But I love it. It's one of my favorite things. I've been, I've always been a fan of this DB Cooper case. I'm so glad that you guys let me do it today because (laughs) I love it. It's just, it's so fun.
2: It is because there's there's
1: no bottom. It can be whatever you want it to be. You pick,
2: and no one died. Except maybe him.
1: Except maybe, maybe DB Cooper, yeah. whoever the hell he was.
0: Well, what about the, the flight crew? Did they say anything else about him? I know they've talked. The flight about-
1: crew never spoke to him. Okay. The only person he ever spoke to was Florence Schaffner the first time when she went up and gave the initial uh, okay. the ransom request. Uh-huh.
0: And then Tina- and then
1: she stayed in the cockpit. And then Tina Mucklow was the only other person who ever communicate with him for the entire time. I think he was on that plane for four or five hours. It was two and a half hours while they circled to get the stuff and then not that long. I think it was within 30 minutes of takeoff from Seattle towards uh, Reno that he exited the plane. I think the plane left at like 740 and by 811 they had the bump in their ears and they think that's when he jumped because then the stair retracted Mm -hmm. temporarily and slammed against the cockpit and boom, everybody got, you know, when you drive up the mountain here at Sandrock, your ears pop. Their ears popped.
0: What did she say about him as far as his personality, his... I feel like Tina would have known a little more about him than anybody else.
1: Well, here's the thing. Tina gave a few interviews to the FBI after it all happened. Mm -hmm. But within a few years, and I forget exactly what the timeline is, she disappeared off the face of the earth for like 15 years. She's back now. Good Lord. But she disappeared off the face of the earth for like 15 years. It turns out, she had joined a convent and became a nun. Oh. Yeah.
2: From flight attendant to nun.
1: Yeah. Apparently, she was very religious, though. I mean, Flo tells tells a story in one book about how she was always uh, quoting the Bible and asking if she'd been saved. So, she was a very religious person. Tina was, is. is She's still alive, as far as I know. I
2: wonder if that's why he found her... Peaceful and calming, sitting next yeah, to him because right? she's probably why <clears throat> she didn't panic. You know, she had that inner peace. Yeah, in she, yeah.
1: She's like, hey, if if, the, if, if this thing blows time, up, I'm yeah. going to heaven. Yeah, right. right. Because flow was frantic. Mm-hmm. That's why they flow get, get out. That's of here. why he, go sit in the cockpit.
0: That's why he um got rid of flow. He said, get Well,
1: away. I'm not sure exactly how that but happened, Flo, but yeah, flow. She was frantic. Eyes she on, thought she was going to die.
2: Flow laid eyes on the explosives.
1: Yes, that's true. She did see the bomb,
2: and Tina's like, eh, "If I go, I
1: go." Yeah,
2: Tina. That's did it.
1: Tina see the bomb? I'm, at some point, because he kind of, uh, depending on which book you read, he kind of held the briefcase open just so that his hand was in it, as if to imply that his finger was on the trigger. So, so you know, here, don't mess with me, or I'll blow this thing up.
2: Here's the thing.
1: I don't think the Tina bomb had was to light his. Tina had to light his cigarettes for him. She lit all of those cigarettes for him using a, a book of matches. That he insisted that he give that she give back to him before he sent her to the front of the plane because he's worried about fingerprint evidence, right? So, but, but she lit his on, cigarettes because he's got one hand occupied in the briefcase.
0: But he wasn't worried about his fingerprints on the cigarettes. Uh,
1: not, no, any, well, I guess not. Well, I guess it wouldn't because been he his left them there
2: on the cigarettes. I guess it would have been his. It his wouldn't lava. be fingerprints, yeah, and but, we, he but nobody known, had ever heard of that. Yeah, but yeah, so In he, 1971,
1: he nobody had heard of it.
0: Uh, he's holding them between the.
1: Yeah, the two fingers. Yeah, right? Yeah, he's th- no fingerprints here. Smoking, smoking, blowing, s- jam it in, and I'm How's done.
0: he? How's he pulling them out of the cigarette box? I, I'm not
1: Tina's sure. Tina's probably, probably doing probably it. Probably Tina's lighting them, handing them to him, and lighting them for him.
0: <sighs> there's some holes
2: there,
1: but there's. I listen, can't the FBI that. totally screwed up this whole thing, <sighs> big time.
2: Well, I don't think he had a real bomb. Maybe not. That, that was gonna be my question. It,
1: Maybe he not, really but really just
2: gonna blow himself to smithereens cause I he's mean, sitting there smoking it, right over a bomb right or, over dynamite
1: hey if he's the uh, if he's the mad crazy criminal with a death wish that we suppose I don't think he had a death wish then it wish, doesn't though. matter I don't think did he did either extra but parachutes. if he was yeah. but if he was then what does he care and that's what you have to work in you have to bake yeah. That, yeah. that into the cake if you're the FBI right? I guess
0: so it's just weird that he's give got to give him the 200
1: these- grand and catch him when he lands that yeah. was it worked great five months later when Richard Hickok did it or Richard McCoy did it mhm they found him within two days. Yeah. but you know, uh, Cooper jumped over
2: He had an extra supposedly
1: parachute. jumped
2: But never spent any of the money.
1: Never a dime. Now listen, let's let's keep this in mind. Mm-hmm. If you're going to spend that money, what they did back then was they sent a piece of paper, a lot of paper, to every grocery store for 100 miles, and it was up to the cashier if somebody handed her a $20 bill.
0: Oh good to Lord. run
1: it. And they weren't sequential. They were just randomly generated numbers in that pile of money. 10,000 numbers. No. So, who knows if it well, got spent or not? And, money, and, you think if he and it was it, a $20 bill. If,
2: if he made it spent. Yeah, if he made it to Mexico like he wanted to originally. Yeah. Like are they running it in Mexico? No, they're not running
1: it. Of course not. And if, what if he's Canadian? What they're if he not- what if that Dan Cooper angle about the comic books? What if he learned he came up with the the name Dan Cooper because he's from Canada because Dan Cooper was a daredevil who jumped out of airplanes. He was a pilot for the Royal Canadian air force in the comic books. It would be like you and me picking Superman or GI Joe to be our nom de plume. If we were going to pull oh, off a crime.
2: Okay. So Dan Cooper, is Dan Cooper it was the name of the main character
1: in the comic book.
2: It's Canadian.
1: And it was Canadian. It was only the comic book was only ever issued in French. So you had to be from the Quebec area, or at least you had to speak French He's to French, read the comic But yeah. As far as I know, it's never been translated into English. I think there's a business model there. Maybe we can get on that. I don't know.
0: Did they ever say what sort of accent he might have?
1: Uh, very g- generic. No, no accent to speak of. Midwestern, they said, just okay. no accent. You know, okay. he sounded like Walter Cronkite. He sounded okay. like an American.
0: Okay, so, but he didn't sound like someone no. from Canada. But there's, or... you know,
1: there's somebody, some folks said his complexion was more olive, like maybe he was, like I mentioned, Hispanic. So maybe he was from Central America, but someone else says, no, that's not right. Mm-hmm. I mean, eyewitness testimony is horribly yes. unreliable, as we've that's mentioned terrible. several times on this show. Terrible. So, I mean, guys, I'm, you see what we're doing here. We're sitting around talking. <laughs> we, this episode ended 10 minutes ago, mm-hmm. and we are still sitting around talking about it. That's what happens. I want to go to CooperCon and just do this oh and God. sit around and talk about all the things that I do. And listen, there's a million things mm-hmm. that we did not even discuss. It's mm-hmm. crazy. It's, it it's 50 years old, and it gets... Mm-hmm. the volumes just grow by the day
0: how many interviews did tina grant after she was there were a couple
1: with the fbi There was one the next day i mean everybody had a horrible thanksgiving of course and then uh another interview in december i think and then she kind of disappeared for a while and then she came back if you watch the there's a great documentary about this case okay. on hbo max
0: all right i'm gonna watch it i it, love it, their documentary you'll just have
1: to do db cooper i forget the exact title but tina is there She's okay. she's a part of the episode.
0: I want to hear from Tina. Yes, it's uh, is Flow on the episode?
1: I don't think so. I don't think Flow is. But there are they they talk to a couple of people who are convinced. You know those deathbed confessions that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of those that are in there. There's okay. a couple of other folks who are convinced that their uh their relative, their uncle, or their brother-in-law or whatever, was D.B. Cooper. And they are all just 110% convinced that they're right. So and only is, one person can be.
0: What is the benefit to, on your deathbed, confessing to being D.B. Cooper? Just is to, it just to get that to off To get of the you?
1: satisfaction of a job well done. I fooled these idiots for 50 years.
0: Or is it to clear your conscience because you have stolen? Yeah.
1: Well, if you, if you are him, but if you're not, which... Only one of them can be right. So the other eleven, if they were, if we're talking about twelve deathbed confessions, what are the other eleven doing? Yeah, just trying to piss off their wife. Just hey, one last fuck you before I go into the great hither and yon.
0: I, I don't. I don't know.
1: I don't. Either. I don't understand I don't what
0: you would, what your benefit would be.
1: Can I tell you guys something? Yeah. I am D.B. Cooper.
2: Yeah, no, you're not. You just said you were one. I was, I, I'm over here.
1: You I'm, were minus 15 then, or whatever you were. Oh,
2: Lord, your math is off.
1: Yeah, yeah, I forget. <laughs> anyway, guys, that's how fantastically ridiculous this is. And thanks to Eric Ulis and Darren Schaefer for their help. Uh, and hope you if you want to learn more I'm going to listen a to their podcast great place to start Yeah, listen I'm to their interested. podcast I'm
0: going to yeah. watch the documentary it's Thanksgiving week I'm going to kick back I've got nothing you got plenty of to time to do I'm off work this week I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to do this, this put is gonna be down
1: more. the turkey sandwich I'm putting it and pick up, up your phone
2: what's we'll us say you can eat and listen to a podcast yeah that's perfect true. you can that's right.
1: true um Gobble, gobble. Happy Thanksgiving.
2: Have a
0: happy and safe Thanksgiving, everyone.
1: Good night, everybody.